Hey, and welcome back to another episode of Spreading the Word. I'm your host, Paul Bizanti, and today we're talking about forgiveness. We look at a passage in 2 Corinthians where Paul writes about a man undergoing some pretty strict church discipline. We don't exactly know what happened. There are some thoughts that he might be the man from the letter in 1 Corinthians that Paul wrote about so severely, or maybe there's even another letter in between 1 and 2 Corinthians that we don't have a copy of that Paul is referencing here. But what we do know is that this man caused some issues in the church, and it required church discipline. How does that affect us today? Well, it teaches us at the superficial level about what church discipline should look like, but a little deeper it teaches us about the relationships we have with each other, the the family members, the church brothers and sisters, and and maybe your spouses or children. But even further than that, it's telling about how God forgives us in his plan of redemption. And the example of forgiveness that Jesus shows is one that carries through here. So, without any further ado, let's jump right into it. Last night we watched some basketball, Sean and I, together, in the same room at the same time. Which is interesting because recently, he and I have not necessarily been together for sporting events because there have been conflicts with the Leafs. Uh, Sean isn't the only person I've had these conflicts with. Um, interestingly, at uh, on Tuesday night of last week, the Toronto Maple Leafs were playing in Game 7 against Boston at the exact same time that the Toronto Raptors were playing in Game 5 against Orlando. Um, Both teams had a start time of 7 p.m. So my co-worker Scott and I long ago had made a plan to attend this conference together. The conference was being hosted in Kitchener uh, at 7 in the morning and he lives in Hamilton so we thought it would be a good idea for him to come over the night before we'd hang out we'd spend some time together and then we'd go to the conference together avoid some trips do some carpooling that sort of thing uh so Scott uh like Sean is a dedicated and avid Leafs fan uh whereas I am less so and I would more rather watch the Raptors and so we ended up having this like, what are we gonna do? Or which game are we gonna watch? How are we gonna watch them both? What are we? And uh, it it ended up getting to the point where we just never really resolved the conversation, and we never actually made a plan. And so he didn't end up coming over the Tuesday night. He just he drove to the conference himself Wednesday morning, and so all week long we've been joking. At least I've been joking uh, about this terrible rift we've created in our relationship and uh how to repair it and we've been like very apologetic and super formal about our our dealings with each other over the past week um but all joking aside uh broken relationships can cause a great deal of sorrow uh think about the broken relationships that you have in your life think about uh parents 
siblings, spouses, children, former friends, maybe a brother and sister in Christ. Think about, as we go through this message, think about that relationship. Think about the, the relationships in your life that are broken uh, and the dynamics that happen within them. You see, our temptation as a sinful and fallen people, as a, as a, a people that live in this broken world that is destroyed by sin, is to treat these broken relationships in a very self-seeking way and that can sometimes come off as spiteful or vengeful or, or worse. In Paul's second letter to the Corinthians, there's some debate as to whether or not there is a, a letter in between 1 Corinthians and 2 Corinthians, but in 2 Corinthians, Paul talks about a man who is undergoing church discipline for a sin in his life. The passage that we're going to read today, which is chapter 2, verses 5 to 11, is all about restoring a deeply broken relationship in the church. And it's being restored through discipline. And Paul is exhorting the church to do it in a godly fashion. The context of this letter as a whole is that Paul is defending himself against these allegations that uh, he was flippantly not making a commitment to visit them. He had previously said, yes, I plan on visiting you, but the Corinthian church is saying you were just flippantly saying that you never had any actual intention of visiting us and you never came. And so that accusation is being levied against Paul and he's defending himself against that. The reality uh, the, the basis for the reason that he didn't actually come to visit the Corinthian church that he gets into right before this passage we're going to read is that he was fearful that it would cause more grief for the Christians in Corinth as well as himself. That his visit there, because he had so strongly refuted some things in a severe letter earlier to the Corinthian church, that his presence there would only create more grief in the relationship. And so as we think about that context of, of the situation, we'll jump into the discussion he's having here about the specific man who was caught in sin and is undergoing church discipline. So starting in verse 5 of chapter 2 of 2 Corinthians, If anyone has caused grief, he's not so much grieved me as he has grieved all of you to some extent, not to put it too severely. The punishment inflicted on him by the majority is sufficient for him. Now instead, you ought to forgive and comfort him so that he will not be overwhelmed by excessive sorrow. I urge you, therefore, to reaffirm your love for him. The reason I wrote you was to be obedient in everything, to see if you would stand the test. If you would forgive anyone, I also forgive him. And what I for have forgiven, if there was anything to forgive, I have forgiven in the sight of Christ for your sake in order that Satan may not outwit us, for we are not unaware of his schemes. The grief that was caused by sin and rebuke in the Corinthian church is at the, the heart, the core of Paul's message here. This man uh, that sinned so deeply fractured his relationships not only with with Paul, but also with the rest of the church, with the rest of his brothers and sisters. 
Initially, Paul, in his first letter, rebukes the church for not being harsh enough in dealing with this sin that has rooted its way into the, into the congregation. But now, he finds himself tempering them. But now he's telling them not to be too harsh. A critical thing to keep in mind is that Paul is trying to teach this Corinthian church, this church that is existing far away from where Paul is. Paul is trying to mentor them along and teach them and help them grow in a godly fashion. Think about what's unique to the church in Corinth. It's a, a metropolitan city. It's, it's very worldly. It's very engaged with, with the other religions of the time. It's a very prosperous, market-based city. And it's a, a city and a church of extremes. On one hand, they don't discipline a brother for engaging in in-your-face sinful behavior. And on the other hand, they're now being rebuked for being too harshly uh, punishing him. So Paul is trying to guide this church of new and immature Christians on how to lovingly discipline and restore a brother in Christ. Paul calls for forgiveness from the congregation. We see in verse 7 that the man demonstrated repentance and sorrow so that he will not be overwhelmed by excessive sorrow. His excessive sorrow because he's seemingly been cut off or, or you know, excommunicated or, or whatever the, the term you want to use, he has been cut off from the rest of the brothers and sisters in Corinth. Later on in chapter 7, verse 10, Paul references that godly sorrow brings about repentance and leads to salvation. Paul has either seen or heard reports of the sorrow and the remorse and the repentance in this man who has been cut off from the church congregation, and now he's exhorting forgiveness from the rest of the congregation. I don't often do this, but I got into the Greek a little bit here. The, the word that Paul is using to exhort the church in Corinth to forgive his brother is charisme. So this word, charisme, has a meaning uh, akin to giving freely or out of graciousness to restore someone. Uh, the, the far more often occurring word in the New Testament for forgiveness is not charisme, it's the word aphimie. 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 There we go. Uh, so, the difference between charisma, which, again, is a, a graceful restoring and restitution of someone, ephemi, is more along the lines of to give up ground, to uh, keep no longer, to let go, to remit, to, to, to cede your ground, uh, as opposed to, to graciously give back to someone. The emphasis then, because he's using this word, charisme, is that it's really focusing on the attitude of graciousness of the forgiver. And I think what Paul's doing here is he's appealing to what our relationship with God is. Think about how God offers forgiveness to his people. It's more along the lines of graciously giving us something freely. Think about the example in the Lord's Prayer or the Our Father where we ask to be forgiven of our sins as we forgive those who have sinned against us. The attitude that Paul is hinting at here is that God displays an attitude of freely giving us forgiveness 
out of his graciousness rather than just giving up ground on an argument and cutting your losses. And the, the attitude is one of restoration of the relationship, reconciliation. So this man is going through some church discipline. Uh, there's debate on what he actually did. Some point to the guy that was being accused of uh, improper relationships in 1 Corinthians. Others say it's, it's a different issue altogether. But what we do know is we know that this man is going through some pretty harsh church discipline. What then is the purpose of discipline? Is it vengeance? Is it retribution? Or is it to restore? Is it remedial? Are you trying to help build up? Paul calls on the church here to reaffirm this man who had previously sinned so deeply and so uh, pervasively that he had fractured and broken his relationships and had been cut off from the rest of the congregations. But now Paul is calling on them to reaffirm their love for this man. The example of church discipline that Paul is exhorting them to is to love, correct, and restore and reinstate this brother in Christ rather than to seek some retribution or payment or punishment or exert some form of self-seeking justice on him. Discipline is meant to be remedial. It is meant to be reformative. It is not meant to be punitive or it, it is not designed to ruin a person. When you're disciplining someone, think of a, a child. You're not trying to ruin them. You're trying to build them up, to grow and mature. What is the purpose of all this? This little passage in the middle of a rather lengthy letter to the Corinthians, Paul focuses very close to the beginning of his letter with a lot of emphasis on this man. And he states in verse 11, his purpose for focusing on this. It's that in order that Satan doesn't outwit us. Think about the ways in which Satan works in this world. Think about the way he deceives and the way he, he manipulates what should be a godly thing into a thing of evil. Satan is taking the godly attitude of church discipline meant to restore and rehabilitate and and affirm a man in his relationship with God. And he's distorting this into this attitude of, of vengeance seeking and meeting out justice and, and retribution and, and punishment. And so much like other things that Satan distorts, like, like sex outside of marriage, sex is a good thing inside of marriage, but outside it is distorted and perverts God's will. Think about anything else that can be godly in nature and then distorted into a thing of evil. That's what's happening here. Paul is exhorting the church here as a, a group of relatively new and immature Christians. Don't let this thing that should be godly and restorative and loving in nature turn into this thing of evil. Instead of the godly outcome of a restored, loving relationship with this brother in Christ, the, God, the ungodly outcome would be a fractured, spiteful, and destructive relationship with him. Ultimately, Paul is offering his forgiveness to this man. He's calling on Christ as a witness. When he says, I have forgiven all in the sight of Christ, 
for your sake. He's calling on Christ as a witness to the forgiveness he's offering this man. Paul is taking the example that Christ gave to his disciples, and he's mimicking that example for the church in Corinth. He's showing a practical example of how a Christian is to emulate the example of Christ's forgiveness to others. Again, Paul is a teacher to this church in Corinth. He is, he is taking Christ's lessons and being an example and teaching the church to act in the same way. How to live out their lives in a Christ-like fashion. Paul is also very clearly underscoring that the point of discipline is to be restorative. His first severe letter that he references that brought tears and anguish and sorrow wasn't meant to be an exertion of his power and control and manipulation of these people. He was trying to demonstrate godly discipline and godly exhortation and a restoring of love in their relationship with God. Though this is a very practical example of how the church in the first century, as well as the 21st century, should handle matters of internal church discipline, there's also a very deep undercurrent of God's relationship with his people. We, just like the man in this passage, have sinned against God. We, just like the man in this passage, are drowning in the sorrow of our sins. I think if we're truly honest with ourselves, our sins can create that sorrow that that overwhelms us. Think back again to the word that Paul uses to describe forgiveness here, charisme. Emphasis being on the graciousness of the attitude of the forgiver. The word means that God is freely offering his forgiveness to us. And it's, it's a powerful reference to God's ultimate plan of redemption for all his people. Christ dying on a cross as payment for the guilt of all of our sins is powerful and everlasting and demonstrates just how freely and how graciously God forgives our sins. God's intent for discipline in our lives is not to smite us or be some God with a magnifying glass burning ants on a sunny day. Like, that's not the vision of God here. God is not seeking this retribution, but he's trying to lovingly restore us into a closer and deeper and more meaningful relationship with himself. Discipline is not meant to be punitive. It's meant to be remedial. It's not meant to ruin a person. It's meant to reform a person. Think back to those relationships in your life that are broken. Think of those people, those, those people that we have broken relationships with. In your interactions with them, in, if you interact with them at all, is, is your attitude one of trying to mete out punishment or a self-seeking justice or vengeance or retribution or what have you against them? Vengeance is for the Lord. Vengeance is for God on the final day to take for himself. Instead, seek to lovingly restore wherever possible. 
I'm not saying that if we're in an unsafe situation or if you're in danger or if there's abuse or if there's anything like that, that we should turn a blind eye to that. No, that's not the point. If you're unsafe, you need to get out of that situation. But your attitude should not be one of revenge and retribution and punishment and control and power. It should be one of love because that's how God teaches us to restore each other. We also need to forgive our brothers and sisters whom we haven't yet forgiven. In a small church, it's especially critical. You can't cross paths with anyone if there's, if there's a, a dispute happening, if there's, if there's antinomy or, or anything uh, between us. That needs to be restored. That's what Paul is talking about here. The example that Paul is showing us is that he is mimicking Christ's example of forgiveness. Let's not forget that Christ still shared a meal and shared his life with Judas, who he foreknew was going to betray him. Acknowledge the fact that we may very well be undergoing some of God's discipline right now. Now let's focus on our lives. Think about the things in your life. Think about the, th the, the outcomes or consequences of the sin in your life. Very often those lead to opportunities to growth. They're learning opportunities. Uh, I, I firmly believe that God does work through the negative consequences and outcome of our sin and our sinful behavior and our, our selfish attitudes that, that God can use those negative situations in a disciplinary fashion to produce godliness in us, to restore us, to build us up, to affirm his love for us. Even in those difficult times, God can be affirming his love for us. Don't get defensive. I have a bad habit of getting defensive in these situations, but godly, godly discipline isn't about punishment. It's about restoring a relationship and building it with God and love. And finally, take hope in the fact that you have been offered forgiveness freely and graciously from our loving and merciful Father. Take hope. That's the message. If you are a Christian hearing this, you have reason to take hope. The forgiveness that we all seek so earnestly, that we sorrow for, and that we are striving for is out there, and, and God's offered it to us, and he's made it complete in the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. If you aren't a Christian, if you're hearing this for the first time, or if you're on the fence and you're just investigating things, by all means, reach out to us. Reach out to uh, a local congregation uh, will help you find, you know, some resources to go through the things you're investigating. Don't just take my word for it, but look into these things yourself. You can you can have hope in the midst of sorrow, in the midst of pain, in the midst of trial, anguish, and doubt. You can have hope. Don't let the toils of life drag you down and beat you up, but lean on God to help you through them. 
I want to thank everyone for tuning in again. If you are hearing this and you find it helpful to your walk and your Christian journey, I'd encourage you to share it. Uh, let others know about the, the message of hope that we have. And by all means, uh, reach out to us and, and we'll connect you with more church resources to help you in, in, your, in your journey. Thanks again for tuning in. We'll catch you next time on Spreading the Word. Thank you.